Andres, we missed you during the last episode. What was going on? Tell us a little bit. Well, it's nice to be back. And yeah, 175 hours without electricity due to a derecho. And it's derecho. Mm-hmm. So Not derecho. Not derecho. Like, <laughs> I keep hearing. So if I say derecho, I'm wrong? Yes. Oh, I mean, it's as, it's as good as it gets for you. I can say derecho. Well, there you go. Derecho. There you go. I can say, say it, man. Yeah. So no, it was it was it was it was interesting. Um, yeah, first night, it's just like, oh wow, we're. I mean, we're not used to it. You know, in this town, I've I've been here almost thirty years, and this is probably the. I don't know, maybe third, fourth time that I've had a power outage. You know, so yeah, first night was just like okay, getting used to stuff, and then. Uh, we had to throw away stuff from the fridge and mm-hmm. the, refri- uh, the the ice box and ice box, <laughs> the, the freezer. <laughs> you, you really <laughs> just said in nineteen fifty. But then I go out uh, back and get my ice box because my rheumatoid <laughs> is acting up. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, but then uh, uh, we got help from the neighbors and they got a generator and we connected our refrigerator and thank goodness that our water heater is gas man yeah. you're yeah. able to take uh warm i mean you don't want to take hot showers but i like i like taking hot showers so it was nice to just take a warm shower yeah yeah uh, just to cool off and you know just mm-hmm. uh, I, I do a lot of thinking in the shower yes <laughs> okay. i'm singing <laughs> so, right I don't, singing. I, don't, I don't sing or rap okay. <laughs> so <laughs> You're not busting no freestyles in the shower. No, 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 no. Like grabbing the shower, the shower head, and hitting the hot sixteen. I, pre- I pretend I do. I'm doing speeches though. Oh, uh, do you really? I, I am, and I'm like waving my hands and. <laughs> That's that whole Toastmaster thing, isn't it? It is. <laughs> That's that Toastmaster training. <laughs> so, oh. uh, yeah, it's, it's 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 it was very nice to see the electric crews and. They put in a lot of work. We, thank goodness, we didn't have a whole lot of damage. We hardly had any damage mm-hmm. uh, to our property. And we're just trying to help out as much as, much as you can with uh, our neighbors and whatnot. But yeah, yeah. But I couldn't miss it. I heard the podcast. It was really good. Uh, I was jealous that it was still good without me, but that's all right. That's <laughs> between me and God. <laughs> Yeah, Andres, that was, thou shalt not envy or be uh, jealous. You and your Bible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. It. So I've heard a lot of a lot of really good feedback about that episode, and I think Justine, you bring in yeah, bringing that topic when you did, I think was a very very timely piece, and so yeah, I loved the discussion and the questions that you asked, and just the the perspective you brought. So I yeah, I thought it was really good too. I really enjoyed it. Sweet. What was the episode about again? Allyship. Yes, allyship. That's right. Performative allyship. Mm-hmm. So listeners, if you haven't checked it out, check it out. Yes. Yes. Greetings and what's good, everybody. Welcome to the Christian Soldier Podcast, a social justice, faith-minded podcast featuring three friends from across the diaspora exploring life at the intersection of race, ethnicity, gender, culture, politics, and basically living while black. I'm Abdullah Muhammad. I'm Andres Amador. And I'm Justina Kenyi. And we are just three POC in the cornfield, living life, loving Jesus, and fighting the good fight in these rough and tumble podcast streets. So welcome back, soldiers. Thanks again for joining us in our virtual living room. And thanks for all the love you guys are showing us with the downloads and the reviews. Um, this, is, this is very, you know, very emotional labor for us. It can be very emotional labor for us. And the support that you're giving really means a lot. So once again, my name is Abdullah. You can find me on IG and Twitter. Um, I'm, at, I'm at Dat Dude Dilla. So D-A-T Dude Dilla, D-U-L-L-A-H. And that's both on IG and Twitter. Andres and Justine. So can folks find y'all on social? You can. <laughs> I thought you were going to say something, Justine. <laughs> See, I'm all rusty coming back. I, you know, I, take, I take one game off and... 
<laughs> See. No, um, probably the best way. I mean, I, I, I don't do a whole lot on Twitter. I just do it to follow, but uh, uh, that's probably the uh, best spot for me. So it's Andres Underbar Amador. Again, Andres Underbar Amador on Twitter. Yeah, um, I have an Instagram. It's Tina A. Joe. So that's T-I-N-A-A-J-O-E. But I think I prefer Facebook because I'm on Facebook a lot. So you can like send me a direct message or, I don't know, post something on my timeline and we can have a conversation that way. My Facebook name is Tina Akinyi. All right. So Abdul, Little Bird told me that uh, you were on another podcast recently. So you're already um, cheating on us with somebody else? <laughs> is that it? Well, see, there, there's enough work to go around, right? There's a whole lot of ways to approach this. This, this justice conversation is like a diamond, and everyone sees it from, from their own perspective or a different prism of that diamond. So, um, yeah, I was on the Ambassador podcast. I was a, I was a guest on the Ambassador podcast that is uh, that's done by my bro, Jared Cole. And uh, Persia Gambles and and Tracy, I forget the sister's last name, but um, these are these are three three black folks that are in ministry together that are really having the conversation really kind of deep in their ministry relationships and the church networks that they're in and um, approaching racial reconciliation from that perspective. And so it's a really good podcast. I'm a personal listener of it. And um, yeah, they're, they're, they're also recording from our city. And so, yeah, it was, a, it was a good time. So that conversation, so the episode that we recorded that I was on um, was in response to a podcast that had uh, Christian conservatives on. So it was the Just Thinking podcast. And I know you're not supposed to shout out other shows on your show, but that's just not how we get down, right? Oh, I think it's good. So, I listen to them too, yeah. Awesome yeah, podcast. so... So, um, and so the Just Thinking podcast is these two brothers that are kind of the, that are evangelical, two black men, sorry, two brothers. So for those of you who don't get that, <laughs> so two black men that are talking about, um, and they're really kind of more theological conservatives, but they were talking, they had an episode that was about, uh, racial reconciliation and social justice. And so, um, the ambassador is doing a series on unhelpful voices. And so they had me on to speak to what I heard in that podcast and some of my thoughts and really just kind of perspective. So uh, it was Jared and I, and then brother Quentin riser. So Q was on there as well. So yeah, that was the episode and we just had a great, a great conversation. So um, that episode might drop by the time this episode drops, but uh, if it does, we'll put the link in the show notes. If not, we'll put it in future episodes. So I'm not going to go into what we talked about on that episode because I want you to go listen to that and check out their podcast if you can. Awesome, awesome, awesome. All right, so let's get into it. Abdul, what is the next track on the mixtape? Ooh, so this track, this this actually was a hard one was a hard one to find a song to. So the next track on the Christian Soldier mixtape this time is after a lot of thinking about it, it became really clear and easy. But the track is the track is Losing My Religion from the Kirk Franklin, Kirk Franklin album of the same name. So actually the so the title track is is a song or the title track is a short poem that, that Kirk reads. And so we're going to be talking about decolonizing your theology. And so losing my religion was like a great title to capture that. And so I want to, it's a short poem. So I want to read it because I want people to hear, you know, kind of what Kirk is saying. So, and I'm not a spoken word poet. I'm not going to try to do that kind of thing, but the lyrics I think are really kind of poignant. So he says, I'm losing my religion. Thank God. I prayed about my decision, how odd, for the man with the mic to be the man all his life, while Christ-like stipes did with R.A.M., rev up the RPMs. How do I begin to paint this sin of rules that divides God's people in two? And then he says, in the beginning, religion created a mask. The Reformation helped, but soon the patch didn't last. I don't tell, you don't ask. So we created a lie. And for generations, church was where we went to hide or we no longer tried because rules read our relationships was empty inside. 
leaves you bitter, dry, swift to cut like a razor, swift to call you a traitor because you're swift to love Taylor. Now we got bad blood with our neighbor. And he ends it by saying, who's wrong? Who's right? Each Sunday we're divided. Who's black? Who's white? So when we talk about decolonizing our theology, to me, this track is appropriate because it demonstrates how uh, relationships with God has been forfeit for religion and how religion has wreaked havoc uh, for those both inside and outside the church. So I think there, it's almost a perfect song to have the conversation about decolonizing your theology. Oh, so good. So good. I really love the lyrics to the song, Abdul. Thanks for reading those. So, you know, just a quick uh, side note for those of you who've been following us. Thank you. And you know that this is a faith minded podcast that's centered on justice and living while black. Um, And the reason we're wanting to talk about decolonizing our theology is because at least for those of us who are believers, the gospel is the nexus of our lives, right? Like it's central to how we see the world, how we navigate the world and how we exist in the world as well. And in past podcasts, we have nibbled around the edges of this, um, you know, like this whole idea of decolonizing our theology and really getting the fullness of the gospel. And, um, you know, for the next few episodes, we are very excited to finally be doing a series that is dedicated just to this topic. We are hopeful that this conversation will have a huge benefit to Christians who are on a justice journey. And by the way, y'all, like if you are a believer at this time and in this moment, your faith should be going through the fire, right? Like your faith really should be, I don't know, like I feel like for those of us who believe in God, like we should be getting a different perspective in this moment and really being introspective about what we've believed, right? Um, and so again, we're hopeful that this conversation will be beneficial to believers, to people um, of other faith traditions and people who claim no religious affiliation at all. We do have several episodes that are lined up that are not going to be as focused on Christianity, but there are a few conversations like this one that we wanted to have sooner rather than later, because we know so many believers are wrestling with these topics right now. So Andres and Abdul, it seems like the urgency to decolonize your theology has become pretty significant for you recently. Can you maybe just share a little bit of what has sparked this in your life? Yeah. Um, the seed for me for this episode began with a tweet from a, a pastor at a church at Columbus, Ohio. His name is Rich, Rich Nathan. And the tweet uh, reads like this, uh, quote, troubling data from the Public Religion Research Institute. If you were recruiting for a white supremacist cause on a Sunday morning, you have more success in the parking lot of, a white, of white Christian churches mm-hmm. rather than whites who skip church to be at a local coffee shop. Wow. So, yeah, I, I, was, I was floored by that statement. Um, but here's, here's the sad part. I, I, I was floored, um, but I wasn't surprised. Not anymore. Mm. Um, since, yeah, yeah. Now, that's the sad part. This is truly that, sad part. That's the sad part. Yeah. That, you know, in 2020, I mean, I'm, I'm, is, I'm not surprised anymore. Mm. Um, I mean, basically, yeah, since 2016, there's just been, Lot of, lots of data collected on the opinion of white evangelicals, and we're doing it from an American perspective as a group. So, yes, all three of us know a lot of individuals that, that will have different opinions or that have different opinion from what we're going to be talking about. Um, but what I'm talking about is if you put white evangelicals, a majority of white evangelicals in a room, they're going to share some, some uh, perspective that probably the three of us would disagree with. Uh, for example, uh, take that 66% of white evangelicals agree that immigrants are, quote, threatened traditional American custom and values, or that 72% of white evangelicals, they're most likely to say that police killings of unarmed black men are just isolated incidents. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, it just, and so that tweet, yeah, I mean, it continues. I mean, that tweet just, I like to research. So that introduced me to the PRRI and Robert P. Jones, who's the CEO and founder of PRI, had no idea about that. And he wrote a book. Yep. It's the Public Religion Research Institute. Yes. Thank you very much. Yes. Just for so for our listeners, because we know what it is, but we want to make sure that 
our folks are following. Yeah. So it's CEO and founder is Robert P. Jones, and he wrote a book, Why Too Long? The Legacy of White Supremacy in American Christianity, right? I haven't read the book yet, but I'm going to, but I've heard uh, some conversations with him. And it just, just, I just want to say that here's how, here's how the book starts, okay? The Christian denomination in which I grew up was founded on the proposition that chattel slavery could flourish along the gospel of Jesus Christ. Its founders believed this argument was not just possible, but divinely mandated. And mm. his family belonged to the Southern Baptist uh, Church. Here's the last thing, and, and, and then I'll say, and then we can just continue this, this conversation. Um, in, an, in an interview, um, he said, the relationship between holding racist views and white Christian identity is actually stronger among more frequent church attenders than among less frequent church attenders among white evangelicals. So I'm, 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 I'm hearing this. And I'm like, what do I do with this? It's a person of color. Wow. And, I've, and I attend a majority white church. Mm. What do people like me do with information like that? Mm. You know, when you go to church and you look around and who do you trust among your white brothers and sisters? Like I said, I know there's individuals and I know people yes. that, I can, that I can go talk to. But as a group, as a collective, Mm-hmm. that's just troublesome. And I just think that's just not a stress that I or neither one of us should have to deal with. Wow. Yeah. Andres. So crazy, you know, and just quick thing. So I listened to the video because Andres, you sent this to us. And as I was listening to Robert P. Jones, he said that the one common factor, right. Um, that seems to be very closely tied to racism in America is Christianity. Like when you control for factors like socioeconomic status, education level, where these people grew up, their racial identity, like Christianity seems to be the one thing, right? And that's why we need to talk about decolonizing our theology. Wow. Yeah, this, so this, (laughs) this episode is going to be really good. Oh my goodness. Because I mean, yeah, there, there is, you know, to your question, Justine, um, the last few weeks for me have also been this very coincidental confluence of, of this recurring conversation. And, you know, the, the PRRI data is corroborated by data from, from uh, the Pew Research Center and several other different places. And so I come across this data in my research on implicit racial bias and implicit attitudes. And so, yeah, this is, it's really troubling to be sure. Um, but as I was preparing to be a, uh, a guest on the ambassador podcast, so there's, there's been that there were conversations I had with people lately. Um, some things that have come up with social media, the tweets Andre shared, there's a whole bunch of that, you know, and, and the research I'm doing like this idea of Christian theology and the idea of really kind of marrying like white supremacist social doctrine with Christian theology uh, really is, has, has been this kind of steady refrain. And so the idea of decolonizing one's theology, I think is phenomenally important because if we don't separate Americanism from our theology, so for people of color, what the only place to go, like the logical, the logical end game is, well, Christianity is the religion of the white man and Christianity is the religion of the colonizer. And so that is absolutely patently false and completely untrue. But if you just look around without really studying it, you really have no other conclusion to draw. So decolonizing our theology to me is really critically important, not just for a high-minded theological thing, but really important for the sake of personal sanity. So for those folks who, who claim a belief in God or a theist or a Christian or whatever, really finding spaces. One one of the refrains for us so far has been finding places to exist outside of white supremacy. And so I'm a firm believer that you don't have to leave Christianity to do that, but man, Christians make it hard. (laughs) Yeah. For real, for real, man, Abdul, so good. And you know, again, 
whatever your belief system is, that informs the way you see the world, right? Yes. It impacts everything. The way you think about money and family and marriage and children and literally everything, education, where you choose to go to school, everything, where you, the schools you choose to take your kids to, right? Like it informs everything. And so y'all, it's just, I don't know, you know, like I feel like America and the world is in a place where we really need to begin to, to get wider perspectives on things. Um, so based on what you two have kind of described, um, decolonizing theology is clearly at the forefront of a lot of people's minds right now, right? Um, so maybe there are like four basic things that we should kind of go over, um, partly for this episode and the next episode as well. So the first thing that we should probably tackle is what exactly is colonized theology, right? Because we want to be able to start from a place of having a good idea and a good foundation for what a colonized theology is and what it looks like. Then secondly, we're going to be talking about some examples of what colonized theology is. So just tangibly speaking, when you walk into a religious or a non-religious space, what are some things that you can very clearly see that indicate the presence of a colonized theology? And the third thing that we are going to tackle is what does it mean to decolonize your theology? Right. Then lastly, what specifically can we do? What specifically can you do in order to begin the process of decolonizing your theology? So y'all, let's jump right in. Andres, how would you define a colonized theology? Well, colonized theology is the theology, and I'll get into this a little bit more in my, in my explanation. That's when, when we talk about that, it's just when it's European western centric and how that worldview and i get to that in a little bit how that has affected how the scriptures are read to the point that it has affected oppressed people and women so what we're trying to get at is that we need to decolonize decolonize ourselves from that now something interesting that i've that i've just heard recently is the idea that black people decolonize and white people, for lack of a better word, deconstruct. So I mm. thought that was... <laughs> so say more, say more. So, no, well, that's uh, that whites and white um, evangelicals will, will just be specific in that sense. Uh, they have to go through a process that's different mm. for the three of us. It's like you, it's like yeah. you taking, it's like we need to take one road to get to mm -hmm. a destination and they need to take another road, another road. Yeah. But basically we both want to get to the same place. Yeah. We just need different, different processes, uh, to get to our destination that makes uh, sense. for, for lack of, uh, um, more detail or just to keep it, just to keep it simple. Mm -hmm. And, and on the surface, I, I tend to believe that. Uh, I think the conversations that people of color need to have as we decolonize are different than white people need to have to deconstruct. Yeah. Hmm. That's you know good. I mean? yeah, that's really good. So um, I won't take too long on this, but I, I do want to uh, talk about something and Justine hit upon it. And that's the concept of worldview. So all of us have a worldview, right? And we all bring a worldview into scripture. Okay. So worldview literally means how you look at the world. Okay. So I'm going to take a non-religious um, example just to prove, not to prove, but just to talk about worldview. I'm going to use Colin Kaepernick, not controversial at all. <laughs> 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 so, so worldview explains the why of a what. Okay. So when Colin Kaepernick kneeled during the rendition of the national anthem, Everyone in that stadium and on television saw that. So that's a what? Okay. 50,000 people saw Colin Kaepernick take a knee during the singing of the national anthem. Okay. There's no debating about that. The debate comes in the what? Okay. Uh, the debate comes in the why. And that's a worldview. Some people said, oh, he's disrespecting the flag. That's worldview. Some people said, oh, just shut up and play football. Stop being so spoiled. Athletes are just overpaid. They should just stick to sports. That's also a worldview. 
And then there is what Colin Kaepernick actually said. And he said, I'm not going to stand up to show pride in a flag or a country that oppresses black people and people of color. That's what he said. And that too is worldview. We look at the flag and we interpret that to mean something. And our white brothers and sisters look at the same flag, flagging the American concept, of course, and some may have a completely different opinion or interpretation or story about the flag. So we're not arguing about the what of events. We argue about the why. And the why comes with uh, worldview. So in all those stats that we gave before that, it is, it is at least clear to me that there is a worldview that's been transmitted through white um, um, evangelicals about scripture that in, in reality we probably based on where we come from that we have a uh, disagreement right mm -hmm. um, take for example I know it's pretty harsh language but it, it's the lack of concern on social issues that we find in, 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 in the white church generally speaking speaking uh, that's a worldview that, that I'm pretty sure the three of us uh, have a disagreement with them, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, individualism, that's another worldview that's brought into theology. That's a criticism of the white Western uh, church. But the thing is that those two things are found in, another, in, in a political theory that I... It's always crazy when I'm, I'm talking to Abdul and I'm talking to him about political theory when he is a political scientist and he's the historian and he's done actual research. So, <laughs> but, you know. yeah, but do your thing though, because, because to be fair, I, I've only dabbled in political theory. Like, so, you know, there is, okay. so, so political theory actually is a subfield of my discipline. Mm -hmm. um, okay. And so, so yeah, I'm I'm more of what's called uh, an Americanist in in my field, um, gotcha. looking at American politics and that kind of and institutions and that kind of thing. Political okay. theory is a thing all on its own. So okay, well that's that's good to know. <laughs> I don't feel so <laughs> no pressure, <laughs> no intimidated. No, but the thing is that individualism, like I was talking about, um, comes from the political theory um, classic classical liberalism and not and don't get that confused with conservatives and liberals and that kind of stuff that's ironically conservatives conservatism and liberalism are both part of classic liberalism okay and that classic liberalism is beyond the scope of this podcast but the point i'm, I'm getting at is that that political thought has crept into Christianity. Mm. And it has been a medium to teach Christianity to the majority culture that when they put on the lenses to read scripture, they've, they've seen stuff from a political theory that we can't find in the scripture. Mm. This emphasis on the individual, mm -hmm. I don't find it in Acts. I don't find it in Jesus, right? So, you know, like, so God loved the world, the world, not you, Abdul. I mean, he does love you, <laughs> but God loved the world so much, all of us, that he sent Jesus, right? And so one thing when you start decolonizing or deconstructing is the idea that you have a worldview. You have a point of view when you are reading that scripture, and it is your job to, to realize how much am I bringing into the text and how much the text is actually influencing my worldview. Because you're, you're going to have a worldview. You cannot, right. everything is, it, you have a worldview about everything, whether you're aware or not. Um, the second point is, and this might be a little bit of a shock to some folks, is that Christianity is politics, and Christianity is a certain kind of politic. Okay, it's an alternative politic. 
Christianity answers how do we live together? How do we deal with offenses? How do we deal with money? How do we deal with enemies? And so on and so on and so on and so on. That conservatism and liberalism are also trying to answer. Okay. So I like to start these conversations on a 30,000 foot view. I know that our emphasis sometimes is about race, but I also want us to keep in mind those two things. You have a worldview, and Christianity is more than a religion. Okay. Actually, classical liberalism tells you that it is your right to have a religion or not. So, classic liberalism puts religion underneath society. And what I'm saying is that Christianity is an answer to other political points of view. Okay. And again, I wish, you know, we can <laughs> talk about this more. Um, but anyway, that's how I would start. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's really good. So um, my, my uh, definition or how, how I would explain colonized theology is, is, is really simple. Um, but before I say it, I, I do want to come back to something that you said very, very briefly. So you were talking about this, this worldviews and everything, right? So um, the whole Colin Kaepernick thing is, is actually a great illustration of this because because the people that were opposed to Colin Kaepernick taking the knee, or now you have um, NBA players, NFL players, you know, a bunch of different uh, uh, different athletes, you know, putting things like Black Lives Matter or or kneeling for for the national anthem, and people uh, people feel some kind of way about that. Now, the narrative that for those that that believe you're dis that those people are disrespecting the flag, they actually believe a false narrative. It's not disrespecting the flag at all for, for lots of different reasons, you know, but what I want to talk about for just a second is the national anthem actually disrespects black people first. So the national anthem disrespected us before we ever took a knee. Mm. So so there that unsung verse you mean that unsung verse and there so there really are actual so so there's there's four verses to the original poem that francis scott key wrote okay the only one that we sing is the first verse now that and it was written so a lot of people think it was written during during the during the american revolutionary war it wasn't it was written during the war of 1812 it was like the remix war <laughs> Right, because because we're fighting Britain again in eighteen twelve. So it was written during then. And what the what the British did was they said, "Look, black folks, if you uh, for those of you who are enslaved, if you run away and fight for us, we will free you." And so it is in that context because we always talk about context. It's in that context that this that the following verse was written in the Star Spangled Banner, kind of one of the forgotten verses. And this is just the second half of the verse. It says, "No refuge could save the hireling and slave from the terror of flight or the gloom of the grave. And the Star Spangled Banner in triumph doth wave o'er the land of the free and the home of the brave." So. Our country, my country, my government, who also enslaved my people, said, if you run away to freedom, we will execute you on sight if we find you because you're fighting for our enemy. And then sung this lustrous verse, for the star-spangled banner in triumph doth wave. Come on, really? So know your history, people. It's critically important. So. What I will say extremely briefly is that colonized theology is, is just like what you said, Andres, it's looking at religion, in this case, Christianity, from the vantage point or the social location of Europeans and people of European descent, aka people who've come to be called white. And so um, that is to say that, that, that we look at how the theory and the practice of religion and all its trappings are from a white Western lens that says white is supreme to every ethnicity, every other culture other than European. So that's what I would say colonized theology is. Wow. Um, you know, I, I think for me, like just in the same fashion that both of you have defined it, I would think of it as a Christianity that is shaped, defined, and informed by 
Eurocentric standards. And y'all, like something that we need to think about, and Abdul mentioned this, if you believe, if you are a believer and you believe a theology and a gospel that centers whiteness and deems European values, people, cultures as supreme, then how does that inform how you view the other? Right? So, and we're going to talk about this later, but like in the context of worship or theology or even churches, how does that inform how we think of black worship, you know, or Hispanic worship or I don't know, Asian worship, right? Um, man, it's just, it's so, it's so sad. It's so sad, right? Like mm. a colonized theology gives us a very limited perspective of the gospel. And I keep thinking about Revelation 7, where God intentionally, right? God is very intentional. And he says, people from every tribe, nation, and tongue. And we've all heard this verse before, but y'all, Jesus is not coming back for a white bride. Come on. He's not. He's coming back for a multicolored, a multi-ethnic, a very wide and diverse bride. Right. And in the Lord's Prayer, which we probably pray all the time, we <laughs> say, Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth now, Lord, your kingdom come. God's kingdom is a multi ethnic kingdom that centers all cultures, all values, and all people. Yes. Well, and as we've said for seven episodes now, white is not an ethnicity. Oop. <laughs> It's not, it's not an ethnicity. It's not a race. It's a political and social invention. Yeah. And that took hold from what I understand, correct me if I'm wrong, Abdul, here in the States. Mm-hmm. Yes. The, the British, Scottish, Italians, they never saw themselves as white. white they yeah. saw themselves as German or French mm-hmm. or, you know what I mean? So that's an invention of, that's an American invention. Well, and and well, mostly a European invention that came over to America for sure. Okay. So okay. now, now, um, Ibram X. Kendi, the definitive history of racist ideas in America. So it's, it stands from the beginning. Subtitle: The Definitive History of Racist Ideas in America lays all this out perfectly. There's another book also called um, The History of White People by Dr. Nell Irvin Painter. So those two books, if you want to know where white came from, go get those two books. Once again, we want to give listeners a moment to process what we've discussed so far in the episode before we continue with the rest of our conversation about colonized theology. So we do that with our segment called Liner Notes. And this is where, as Christian soldiers, especially in the, in the, in the wake of what's happening now and just in our, in, in our country, we want to take a bit of a rest or kind of a relaxation or a Selah moment or a Wusa moment and talk about something that is filling our spirit and giving us life. So it could be a song, a piece of art or culture. It could be a book, uh, something that's just inspiring us or, or energizing us. So as you process the first half of that, uh, of, of the episode, we want to just give you some 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 nice little sorbet in the middle of your meal. So Ooh, sorbet. Yes. Nice. Fancy new word there. <laughs> Yum. So I have no idea what that is. You don't? Andres. <laughs> Come on, man. Andres, do you live under a rock? <sighs> Ask your Must. wife what sorbet is. I bet she knows what it is. Uh, yes. Well, I bet she does. Yes. All right. So so Jay, what's feeding your spirit right now? Ooh, okay, y'all. So Andres has a niche. Is that how the word is pronounced in American niche. English? Niche. 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 Right. So he has or a, for the troglodytes, niche. Niche. <laughs> troglodytes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so Andres, y'all, like he really does find like the best podcasts. I'm like, this should be like your career right now, you know, just finding podcasts. And so anyway, so he sent us a podcast episode, and this uh, episode was called your wokeness is not worship. And it was an episode on the Evolving Faith podcast. So y'all should check it out. And the speaker, whose name is Sandra Maria Van Opstel, she made this statement. True worship is not about intellect, intellect and intention. It's about embodiment and action. 
And y'all like this has just stuck with me because I think as believers, and I was even thinking about this as Abdul was speaking, I think as believers, like we can get so caught up in reading all the books and going to conferences and listening to podcasts and doing all these very intellectual things. And sometimes we can actually forget to live out what we're learning. So even as you listen to this podcast, as you educate yourself about justice, I want to challenge you to be introspective and ask yourself, am I actually living this out? Am I actually going to take the steps to decolonize my theology? Or am Mm. I just listening to podcasts for the sake of listening? So anyway, for me, that's just been giving me life and challenging me in a lot of good ways. Yeah, it's good. That's really good. Um, For me, it's just, man, it's just electricity. (laughs) I am a fan. Lights are giving you life. (laughs) Thank you, Thomas, for the gift of light. So you're a fan of fans Uh, too? I am am a fan of fans, uh, air condition, uh, cold food that needs to be cold and hot food that needs to be hot. I'm a fan of all of it. So yeah, I'm, it's, it's, it's a uh, first world type of what's giving me life type there of thing. Mm. So what's giving you life, Abdul? Well, um, let's see a couple things. Well, first off you, you are really Jay hit it right on the head. You're like the, the, the podcast maven. Okay. Move on. Like you find stuff. I'm just saying. <laughs> so, um, you know, I honestly, I don't really have anything to speak of that's giving me life right now. So I don't know. And not that things are just depressing me or anything, but I don't have anything like, like this week that's just so grabbing my attention or arresting my attention that I just, oh, I got to mention this. So, yeah, I, I, I don't have anything right today. Okay, great. Thanks. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just bringing it real. So, so uh, actually, no, wait, I do have oh. one thing. What's giving me life right now are my children. Aww. So, <laughs> so, I mean, you know, uh, we have a son who's 20. We have, you know, daughter, three boys. So my 20 year old comes and visits us every, you know, every day he has his own place. And, he, and when he comes to visit us, he just always gives, he'll stop for dinner or whatever, just, but just to hug his mom. But he always gives like just the best. I love you, dad hugs. So what's giving me life is when I grab my son, I don't want to let him go. That's awesome. Yeah. How do you move on from that? How do you follow that? (laughs) Well, we got to. Yeah, no, that's really good. That's really good. All right, folks, let's, uh, let's jump back into it. So uh, we were discussing what colonized theology means. So now we're going to give some examples of what colonized theology actually is. So the part, so the reason we want to, we're making this a series is because we want to equip listeners with some specific and tangible examples in case folks may have heard the term, but never had a, an opportunity to, for it to be explained to them. Right? So anybody want to give uh, our listeners some examples of, uh, Colonized theology. Uh, so I have yeah a whole laundry list. I won't read them all now, but there's a there's a whole laundry list of things that we could say are colonized theology, and we can kind of pick up on whichever one kind of trips our trigger here. But for example, an example of colonized theology would be theology that focuses on Paul rather than on Jesus. So okay, you need to talk a little bit more about that. <laughs> Okay, so that was only the first one. We already there already. <laughs> yeah, but, this, yeah, three hour episode right now. I, I know. Right? <laughs> so, um, in my tradition, I come from the evangelical church, Reformed church tradition, Refor- you know, Reformed theological tradition, and and I and I was in that movement, so to speak, for two plus decades, and I can probably count on one hand, maybe two, if I think really hard about times we actually taught, specifically taught from the Gospels. Most of the teaching was focusing on the epistles and primarily the writings of Paul. Mm -hmm. Um, So, so, 
you know, we're, we're, we're automatically starting from, even though Paul's an apostle, right? We're starting from the, the interpreter or the clarifier of what Jesus said and not the words and actions and deeds of Jesus himself. So that, that's a problematic thing for lots of reasons. So, um, uh, another one would be like the whole the whole way we get the sermon to begin with 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 one person talking and you know a room full of people listening listening and absorbing passively you know that's more of a roman invention um it's certainly not how they did things you know, not how teaching was done in the old testament and there are only a couple of examples where in the new testament where people actually stood up to proclaim something um we got things like the way, like the order of service, how we do missions. Um, uh, I mentioned before Christianity being the white man's religion. Those are all examples of colonized theology. Um, a great, very cogent, clear example of colonized theology is not holding as valid women pastors and teachers. Um, there is the way we do worship, the order of how we do it, the, 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 the trappings around the whole music-centeredness of churches today. There are a bunch of different things about the, the colonized theology there. Um, seeing other theological traditions as less than or as, a, as an aberration, like, for example, black liberation theology. Mm. You know, so now those are just a few. I can go on and on and on, but those are just a few. Right. So are there are there any of those that that as you guys think about those examples of colonized theology that really stand out for you? I know that Justine's got something, so I want to step in just because I know. <laughs> you can just hear her face right now. Yes. Like, right. She's like, like okay, just she's ready, like, ready, just ready, okay so I'm going to say my thing. Yes. And I'm just going to duck. <laughs> Run. Okay. My thing is white Jesus. Hello. I mean, <laughs> let's just get at the heart of it. <laughs> ah. Okay. So if the white body is the standard, and shout out to Resma Milligan for that. Right? If the white body is the standard and everybody else is substandard. Oh my gosh. How can a white person, how can a racist person accept the substandard brown Palestinian oh gosh. named Jesus into their heart? Sweet God. I mean, you can't. So, right. therefore, Jesus has to be, be white. white. Ooh, you, so, you got I'll him in the that, corner working the ribs right now. I got, oh I'll let God. that marinate. But, oh, one more thing about liberation theory, 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 liberation theology started in Latin America. Hello. Mm. All right. So, anyway, I, wow. but anyway, but I just want to print that out. But yeah, the concept. And here's the thing, though. And then, Justine, I, I'm out. I'm, I'm just about done. <laughs> I don't even want to follow you now. I'm just, no, it's totally fine. No, 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 no. What you got to say is good. It's <laughs> oh, yeah, really good. yeah, you got so some gold over there. That's why I wanted to say, it, even though. So, um, yeah, the, 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 now the thing is that we don't say that Jesus is white. We don't say it. Mm. None of the, you know, nobody says it. But we, we don't think that Jesus could be anything but white. Right, man. You know what I mean? Yes, we don't sir. think he could be anything else. Exactly. Even though, even yeah. though we don't have a description of him in the scripture, yeah. we yeah. do know where he was born. Boom. Right? Yeah, the closest we get is the, is the hair of lambs, wool, and feet of brass. Right. Right. Mm. So if there's, if there's any more colonized theology than white Jesus, I don't know what there is. Come on. So, so interesting. So I actually don't necessarily have anything to add, but I wanted to point out. So as Andres was talking, I was reflecting on my own life and how I grew up. I grew up in Kenya, which is maybe like 99.99% black people. And all the pictures, all the images that I saw, all the depictions that I saw of Jesus were very white. He had blue eyes and very blonde hair. <laughs> there you go. Imagine you guys where, in a black country. Where does that come from? Yeah. How'd that happen? How does white Ex Jesus get to Africa? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And you guys, like, I'm always going back to what does that do to your psyche as a yes. person of color? Yes. What does that do to your brain? Right. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. and how you view God and how you see Jesus. And maybe like five years ago, a very good friend of mine asked me the question, Justine, what ethnicity do you think God is? You know, she asked me that. And I was like, I mean, I'd never thought of that question before. God, not Jesus? She might have asked me Jesus. Yeah, probably Jesus. And I think my kind of like, I was like, just like you said, Abdul, he cannot be anything but white. You know, it's like there is there is no way that Jesus could look anything like me. You know, like he cannot be anything but white. And so, again, kind of just like going back to how. Oh, my goodness. We need to decolonize our theology. Then, Abdul, like the thing that you mentioned about um, churches upholding Paul and his letters, the irony of that, because I've been going through the book of Acts and Paul was called to the Gentiles. Okay. He was called to the Gentiles. And fun fact, Paul calls out Peter about having some ethnic issues and literally says, sure I does. know that you are called, you are called to the Jews. But that does not mean that you need to look down on Gentile people. And so just the irony that we have churches that uphold epistles and they and they uphold uh, Paul. Yet Paul was he was an anti-racist. Okay, (laughs) if Paul was alive today, he would be like, hashtag Black Lives Matter. Oh, snap. (laughs) Well, okay. so I, I think you might be right. However, I also do think that Paul, using today's terms, would be considered a conservative. Mm. So does the and does the uh, interest in his letters over the gospel that might that might just be because think about, you know, Paul talks about his pedigree a lot and the way things used to be and that and that kind of thing. Right. Oh, so so there are several different hallmarks that would that, that would show us that. Paul also had one a very conservative sexual ethic, and yes. very you know, and and yeah. two overall, overall uh, conservative leanings for his day. Mm-hmm. And oh, by the way, he was these new jacks, these 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 new jack liberal people of of this new sect called the Way, that came to be called Christians. Mm-hmm. They were first called Christians in Antioch. Yes, these folks. Paul was executing. Right. Or yeah. So so lots of lots of lots of good stuff to show that 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 Paul was a conservative there. Mm. So um so can I give y'all just a couple of examples of colonized theology in my own life? Yes. Sure. So, you know, like I've I've said before, I think, um my you know, I come from the uh, the, the reform the evangelical background, right? And so, so as a as a leader in churches in various capacities over the years, I've been a worship leader, a Bible study and small group leader, um, a Bible teacher, an elder, a pastor in both house church context and congregational context. I mean, I've been like in a bunch of different things, right? Um, but I remember. Uh, an example of 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 colonized theology, for example, the book of Ephesians, Ephesians six talks about um, that slaves should obey their masters. Okay, so I was taught in my training as a teacher about hermeneutical and exegetical purity and all that kind of stuff. But I was taught that that text talking about slaves and masters should be viewed and interpreted in the more contemporary context as employers and employees. Hmm? I was taught that by folks who, who again, believed in sound biblical exposition, but they didn't want to go there on that passage. Um, so, so I was taught that we should ignore all of the context of which the slaves and masters were mentioned and, and call it employer and employee, rather than looking at what slavery looked like, looked like in the ancient world, how it was similar or different than our chattel slavery context or Western context. And even in sermon prep one time, I was told not to even mention slavery in the passage at all, even though the passage talks about slavery. <laughs> so, 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 and just to be honest, I've got my own racialized baggage, you know, for yeah. example, of, of, of why I've never belonged to the black church. Mm. Mm-hmm. I even, oh, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, me too. Yeah. 
I even remember an incident where I played a, I'm just going to just being real here. I played a completely like step and fetch it in describing my perception of black preaching and the hooping and the singing of certain words. I, I did this really racist impression of a black preacher. Oh, wow. Yes. And I, and, and I did it like with my, with my Christian friends, mm-hmm. many of whom were pastors. All of them wow. were white. So how jacked up is that? So when we talk about the, mm-hmm. the, the internalization of racist ideas, it, no one's exempt from that. So, so as I'm over here playing like this straight Geechee in this impression, these folks are probably laughing at me as much as with me. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Yep. <laughs> right. So meanwhile, oh, wow, wow. I'm over here expressing these racist ideas and they're co-signing them. So, so yeah, I mean, we can, we can go way, we can go way deep into that. But, but, but when I think about that from the, from the terms of internalizing a racist thought mm-hmm. is I, I've also had the internalized baggage that I'm currently recovering from that the black church experience is somehow less pure and less theologically robust than quote mainstream or regular theology. Right. Wow. So I'm telling y'all, yep. this stuff can do, this, this is a complete mind job. It can do a number on you. Yeah. And just, I mean, uh, another thing is just, and I'm guilty of it too, or just more confession time. You know, one more thing to think about is um, I'm, I'm reminded of a relevant magazine article called uh, How Racist Is Your Bookshelf? Or no, no, is your bookshelf racist? Oh, yeah. Right. What are you reading? And, and where are you getting your information where it comes to theology? Where are you getting your information from? Just, if you got a bookshelf, if you like to read, go look at it. Mm. And who are the authors? Whether yeah. you're black or white, mm-hmm. who are the authors? Mm-hmm. And, and I'm guilty of it. I probably got more white authors than black or Puerto Rican or mm-hmm. uh, um, Latin American, uh, uh, Hispanics, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So, I got to go through that process as mm-hmm. well. What music are you listening to? Oh, that's a big one, y'all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Come on, Justine. Yeah. Music and worship. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> um, y'all, I could talk about this for days because I, I, get, I got like saved, saved for real. You know, like the real deal where like I was choosing Jesus for myself in 2014. And I remember being in my dorm room. I was in Australia because I was studying abroad. Being in my dorm room, and studying I studying abroad in Australia, private you know, school, bougie, love. bougie. <laughs> yeah, bougie, <laughs> private school, bougie. I, was, I completely wrecked your flow. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> Hashtag bougie. Nah. <laughs> so anyway, y'all, and I remember like listening to only white music. So you think the Hill songs, the Elevations, the Bethels, you know, whatever, Passion, City. And I don't want to go into whether that kind of music is good or bad. You know, like, I think it's very subjective, but I got saved into white worship. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until a year ago that I began to ask myself, Justine, if you, okay, because the worship songs we write are informed by the theology and the gospel that we believe. Yes. Like Andre said, if we believe a gospel that is individualized and a gospel that only takes place on the inside of us with no outward focus. Mm-hmm. And that informs the kind of worship that we sing and how we apply that to our worldview. Mm. Right. I mean, let alone yeah. when, when, I mean, yeah, we can talk about worship <laughs> for a long time. Cause I think we definitely will on the net on part two of this. Right. So we got to so, go there. Yeah, we do. Just cause, I've known people that said when somebody, person of color is doing an interpretation of a song, even when it's a majority culture song, they just put in their own spin to it. Mm-hmm. I know of people that have, that have said, like, why is it being sung that way? Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, a, why are you got to be so like, extra? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Ooh. Uh, yeah. Well, you got to put so. rims on everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so true. It, it, it is. And, and I, I mean, for me, as a, 
as a as a worship leader, as a former worship leader and vocalist and musician, I, that I man, I, I I used to hear that a good bit, or I would also hear, you know, man, I love I love that song you sang, you know, I I'd hear both sides of that. So, and fun fact, I'm I'm still in your phrase, Justine. Fun fact, as a worship leader and a, and I don't like Christian music. I'm not a fan. It just doesn't move me most of the time. Mm-hmm. Like there's two or three or four, maybe five artists that I like, artists that I like, but it just doesn't move me. But which is why I'm a I'm a bad worship leader. Which is why I don't, don't do it anymore. You know who agrees with you, Abdul? Who's that? Bono from U2. He yeah. has a very sharp criticism of Christian music. Man. In part because of the lack of lament. Like he reads the Psalms and like, where's all these lament? Where are you? Where's the yeah. laments? Right. <laughs> you know, but anyway. So, okay, so, so I know we got to wind down, but I got a question for you guys. All right. Um, have you guys ever heard of the dolls experiment? The what? I have. Uh, the dolls. Fringe. Sorbet yes. and now dolls. Okay. <laughs> so, because we're talking about how, how, we've, how we've absorbed these internalized racist ideas and, and these internalized religious colonial ideas. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Right. So it's where, you know, it's where the subject, um, like the, the researcher or whatever, holds up the black doll um, or the black and white doll to children of different races and asks questions like, which doll is smart? Which doll is pretty? Which doll is nice? Which doll looks like you? Right. Mm. So I have seen and read and heard this study repeated dozens of times with the exact same result. And that is that children as young as five years old, which was the youngest test I've personally seen, but children as young as five years old and even up to high school age overwhelmingly associate intelligence, beauty, niceness, innocence, lack of criminal intent, social preference, and a whole lot more with white people over black people. Yeah. Wow. So, so I, I bring this up. So like the, uh, the study comes from like the first time the study was done was in the 1940s um, by it, it was a black and a black husband and wife psychologist team, Dr. Kenneth Clark and Dr. Mamie Phipps Clark. And so their findings were the basis of the legal argument used by Thurgood Marshall and the NAACP legal team to argue the, the Brown v. Board of Education decisions in 1954. Now. They'd done the research. 14 years before the Brown case. So they didn't do it for the Brown case. But uh, Kenneth Clark himself said in in an interview years later, he said, he said, the Dahls test was an attempt on the part of my wife and me to study the development of the sense of self-esteem in children. He said, we work with black children to see to see the extent to which their color and their sense of their own race and status influenced their judgment about themselves and their self-esteem. So I mentioned that to say that as a former black evangelical and as a black man in America, these internalized racist ideas have been phenomenally powerful and profoundly effective in my own life and in the lives of other folks. And I know, I know for a fact I'm not alone in that. Yeah. Wow. So with that, um, what about if we just, uh, just, yeah, wrap up the, uh, wrap up the episode, Mm -hmm. um, like, or just final thoughts. (laughs) Jay, you can go ahead. Ooh. Final thoughts. Mm, I, I think the biggest thing is we need to not make these conversations casual, you know? Um, I don't know, y'all, you know, kind of like as we, as you're having these conversations, as you're reading these books, as you're listening to podcasts, take the time to be introspective. And in, you know, like in the next podcast, like we're going to talk about the process of decolonizing your theology. But I want to challenge you, like, even as you listen to this, like, ask yourself, in what ways have I believed a colonized theology? And in what ways have I actually um, enforced, you know, a colonized theology? So if you're a worship leader, right, or if you're a worship team leader, if you lead a Bible study, you know, like, in what ways have you centered whiteness, right? 
Um, and this applies for both people of color and for white people. So be be introspective and think through these things. Yeah, for me, it's just quickly, like I, I just to reiterate uh, that you have a worldview mm. and you are bringing it into the, the scripture. And your job is to let scripture shape your worldview and not manipulate the scripture so it fits your worldview. So good. Mm. Manipulate. That's good. That's good. So I think for me, my final thought is um, thinking about like the counter perspective, you know, so there, there are people who are going to say, well, theology is just, just theology and the Bible is just the Bible. And, you know, are you reading your experience into the text? So, so people will say that. And so um, I think that the kind of the biblically speaking, though, the only relevant counter perspective is whether or not we're being true to the text. And so I would argue that we're trying to be, um, and but I would also argue that we are also not a respecter of the theology of oppression in any way, shape, or form. And so, um, and I think the Bible from the text supports that. And so uh, I think I would say my, my final thought is that we have to really delve into each kind of passages or whatever to really determine kind of what is being said and what's outside of the scope of the text. And, um, Mm -hmm. but the counter, the counter perspective can't be a blanket one in some respects when looking at, at the scriptures, because that's how we got into this mess to begin with. Right. Well, that does it for us for now. So next time, we're going to continue with part two of our conversation on decolonizing your theology, where we'll discuss what it means to decolonize your theology and then provide you with some ways to begin to go about doing it. Um, As always, if you like the show and the content, if you're encouraged or challenged by it, please like, subscribe, share, and most importantly, drop us a review. That helps us show up in the podcast ratings, which helps us find folks and uh, helps grow the community because we can always use more soldiers. And thanks again for the love. And then also, if you have questions about anything we cover in the episode or suggested episode ideas, or you just want to reach out, become a member of our community on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Christian soldier. That's S-O-U-L-J-A-H. Or email us at hello at christiansoldier.com. So thanks again for listening. I'm Abdullah. I'm Andres. And I'm Justine. And until next time, y'all, keep the faith. Peace. Bus. Amani. The Christian Soldier Podcast is brought to you by the Christian Soldier Collective, a Jesus-centered community dedicated to the pursuit of unity, cultural and ethnic conciliation, and social justice within the church. Theme song is The Ace by Ballpoint. The Christian Soldier Podcast is a production of the Christian Soldier Collective and Monarch Training and Development. Mm-hmm.